Amen. Thank you, Miss Beth. Thank you, worship team. Good morning again, church. I uh, mentioned to you just a few moments ago as we were transitioning that we are continuing in the book of Philippians today with chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And I entitled this message today, Gospel Above All. Now, I know that we have some guests today, and I want to make mention of this too. You might have gotten a bulletin when you came in this morning. And if you did, please, uh, if you don't mind, fill out that card. I know the offering has already gone by, but you can give it to me or give it to Walter that you saw this morning or anyone else for that matter, and they can make sure that it comes to me. We just want to have a a record of your visiting, but also want to reach out to you and say thank you for being with us this morning. Also, if you are a first-time guest, um, we got a little something for you in the Welcome Center, so please see us afterwards so that we can give that to you as well. Um, Last week we began um, this series, Rejoice. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I heard some great feedback. People are excited about the book of Philippians. As I mentioned to you, we we see the book of Philippians, and there are a lot of those verses that are kind of like life verses for people or quickly um, recitable verses that people go to. There's a lot of good stuff in here. But one of the reasons that I wanted us to see this book moving into this new year is because of the fact that Paul is pushing joy, and he's encouraging these believers to have joy. And he's doing so from the mindset of someone that has gone through a lot of stuff to get to where he is right now in writing this. Paul has experienced a lot of horrible circumstances for the sake of the gospel. He's been beaten. He's been going through a lot of different things. And he's sitting in prison as he writes this letter. And so we're going to see today how he's done... Last week, given the opening thankfulness and the prayer for that, and there's joy in those things as we talked about. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go to listen online. You can, you can catch back up. But today I want us to see, starting in verse 12, we're going to see how Paul, even though he's in his circumstance, he sees that the gospel must be proclaimed regardless of whatever is happening. The gospel must be what is on display fully as we move forward in our lives. And so today, when we see this, we're going to see how Paul pushes this idea of how the gospel is elevated above our circumstances. The gospel is elevated first and foremost above ourselves. The gospel is to be presented above and beyond, past our circumstances, to see what we have moving forward. And so, if you remember, when Paul's writing this letter, and we're going to look at this verse specifically next week, so if, you, if you're visiting and you can't be here, tune in online if you can. There's a little plug. But be listening for it. But verse 27 is something we're going to look for next week. But in this letter that Paul's writing, this thesis, if you will, of why he's writing this letter, and this will be on the screen for you, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is why Paul is writing this letter. This is the main theme of why he's doing this. He wants to see these partners and ministries at Philippi to do this, to continue to move forward, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, with that said, let's stand together as we look at this passage today and we move forward in it. Let's honor the reading of God's word. Chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And the word of the Lord says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be proclaimed in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's one of those verses. 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I will, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for the time of worship that we've had so far this morning. Lord, to proclaim your name, to lift your name on high, and to sing these songs to you. Lord, as I prayed just a few moments ago, and I pray now, Lord, I pray as we look at your word, Lord, that every distraction would fade away. Or we know that Satan and his demons are bound for you. They have no authority. You reign and have full control. And in this place right now, Lord, while your word is being proclaimed, I pray, God, that we would intently listen to hear from you. Lord, I'm just a sinner saved by your grace, thankful that I have the opportunity to stand here and do this. But, Lord, I can't do it without your help. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would use me, that you would speak through me, that you would get the glory, the honor, and praise, that you would increase and that I would decrease. And right now, Lord, about this time, Pastor Brett is standing in the pulpit as well, and I pray that you would empower him and use him as he preaches your word to Cooper River Baptist Church. Be glorified, Lord. We love you, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So for this passage today, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul is still demonstrating how to have joy, but also how the gospel must come above our circumstances, how it must come above ourselves, and how it must go beyond just what we even see right here and now to the future so the gospel can be proclaimed. So if you're taking notes, I, I pray you are. Uh, the first thing we can see, uh, you know, I'm going to give you some points. The first is that the gospel above circumstances gospel above circumstances. Look at me again, with me again at verse 12. Paul says, I want you, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, if you recall from last week, I made mention of the fact that in the early part, while he's having this thankfulness and this theme of joy, there must be joy despite our circumstances. And we talked about how our joy is found not by earthly standards, because if they was found by earthly standards, we only are happy and we're joyful when we're in the midst of good times by the earthly standards. When we're not in the midst of good times and they're hard, we don't necessarily have a lot of joy. But Paul, while he's writing from prison, he can have this joy despite his circumstances because of who he is in Christ. He delights in Christ. 
He is so deeply rooted and saturated in that. He's so thankful for who he is. And if you recall, this is Paul who was known for killing Christians. Yet God radically saved him and used him for the glory of God all throughout what we read in the New Testament. So this is, this is a wonderful thing for us to see. So Paul, when he's writing this in verse 12, he's beginning this statement by saying that his imprisonment, listen to this, his imprisonment has been used for good. Been used for good. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Think about that. He's in prison. He's been through all the stuff that he's gone through. And yet he can say that while I'm here in jail, this is good. This is a good thing because the gospel has been made available to all the people around me. What, what faith is that? That's such a bold statement to make. For him to be able to say that, this doesn't seem right. We read that, we're like, Paul, how can you be so excited about that? How can you be so excited that while you're in prison, it's been a good thing? It's because the gospel has been made available to advance. It's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. The reality is that while he is in prison, he's getting the opportunity to proclaim the good news. Verse 13 tells us, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's saying, Philippians, it's a good thing that I have been locked up because I have been locked up for Christ Jesus. And my being locked up has given the chance for the gospel to advance all throughout the imperial guard and to all the rest. So many people have been able to hear why I'm here. And because they've heard why I'm here, they know it's because of Christ Jesus. Therefore, praise God, I've been locked up. Wow. Wow. Paul's not letting the circumstance of what has happened to him delay his proclamation of the gospel. He's not letting it hold him back. He's not saying, well, woe is me. This is messed up that I'm in here. I shouldn't be in here. I don't want to be in here. So I'm not going to do anything. No, Paul says, fine, if I'm going to be here, so be it. It's time to proclaim Christ. We have to make note of this, church. We have to make note of this. We cannot allow the circumstances or what we label as impossible things to hinder our gospel proclamation. We can't. Now, I know that none of us are sitting in jail right now for the sake of the gospel. I know that. But we can think of it in many different ways. And I'm not trying to far stretch things here, but, but think about this for a moment. God has called us to the mission. The mission is to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to the people of the parsical community that God has called us to. And we do that through a variety of ways. We do that through going to Hersey Elementary, which is two blocks from us that we have an amazing partnership with already, and beginning to do afternoon reading buddies with these students, to begin to help feed if these people need food, come alongside these teachers and these staff members that need supplies and help them. As the weather permits, coming up very soon, Walter's got some phenomenal ideas for us to go around to this community, to the people that live on these streets. And proclaim and demonstrate the gospel through them through just easy acts of service. I can't wait till that gets unveiled. 
There are amazing ways. But here's the thing. We have been called by God to do these things. We can't allow our circumstances to hold us back. We can't. We can't. We can't say, man, that's a great idea. I wish we could do it, but we don't have the manpower to do it. Part of the reason why we are praying to God every single week for these kingdom partners is so they can come alongside of us and help us in our time of need. And we do the same exact thing for them. That's why we pray for these brothers and sister congregations to come alongside each other, to fulfill the mission together. We can't look at our circumstances and say, we don't have the funds to do that. I know I'm stepping on a, a touchy subject, but here's the thing I want you to understand. We must trust God with our finances, individually and corporately. We must. I would encourage you, if you're not faithfully giving, Scripture lays it out for us that we should be doing that. God blesses us. We, in turn, should faithfully give it back to him. Take a little side note for a second. I have been very convicted over the last couple of months about the fact that our offering was not being taken up, taken up during the service. And faithful brothers and sisters that I know seek the Lord and trust him have come to me individually as I have been convicted of this. And they, in turn, have told me, I really think that we should bring this back in. Because here's the thing. When we pass the plate, I know it may seem like a kind of an older thing to do, old school, if you will, but that's an act of worship. Because we're coming before a holy God, and we're saying, God Almighty, you have blessed me with the job that I have. You have blessed me through my time of what I've done in my career, now in my retirement, with the funds that I have. And this is what I believe you have called me to give. Therefore, I am giving that to you. Here is my worship to you. And in doing that, we must faithfully give that. And if we're not, we must repent. We must repent. We must ask God to forgive us of that and be faithful in that. Y'all didn't think you were going to hear me talk about giving, did you? It's just something that God has really laid on my heart about that church. We can't look at our circumstances and say, well, we can't do that. That's a wonderful idea, Brian, but maybe one of the other churches. And nobody has said that to me. I'm just giving you examples. But we can't look at our circumstances and say, that's too big of a thing to do because we don't have the money to do it. I'm sorry, but my God sits on the throne and he makes things happen. Because as Luke 137 tells us, when the angel is talking to Mary, what does he say? For nothing shall be impossible with God. And if we've been called to this mission, we trust God, and we know that nothing is impossible with him. He will make the way happen. We must trust him. The gospel has got to come above our circumstances. It has to. It has to. There are many different things that we can do. There's many different things that are churning in this mind. There's many things that's churning in Walter's mind, in Michael's mind, in the deacon's minds, in the rest of our leadership. There are great things happening. I trust that, and I know that. And I'm asking you to buckle up because God is about to do some great things, church. I believe it. I believe it. But in order to do so, we have to remember that the gospel comes above our circumstance, period. It does. That's the reality. It's truth. We have got to understand that, and we've got to remember that God has called us to this. We must be obedient, trust him, and he will provide every step of the way. And if he sees fit at a certain time to say, all right, guys, your mission is done, he'll tell us that. But he hasn't told me that yet, and he hasn't told many of you that. Because if he had told you that, you wouldn't be sitting in these pews right now. God has called us for this purpose. We must remember that the gospel comes above our circumstance, no matter how awkward they may feel, no matter how too big of a task they may feel. We trust God, we stay obedient, we move forward. Next thing, verse 14. 
He says, and, the most of, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's saying, guys, my imprisonment has helped me to spread the gospel throughout the whole imperial guard. And because of what has happened to me for the sake of Christ. Now, he's not just talking about the imprisonment here. He's referring to the fact of all those things he went through that I mentioned last week. The beatings, the riots, the calamities, the hunger. All those things that Paul has gone through. Praise God that he's had to go through those things. Because him being locked up for the sake of Christ has lit a fire under the rest of the brothers. It has. It has. He says there in 14 that most of the brothers, he doesn't say just a couple. He says that most of the brothers... Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, I know that sometimes it feels like our country is going way off track. And there's a lot of stuff that's happening right now. But thank God we still have the freedom to gather here in this place. Thank God we still have the freedom to boldly proclaim the gospel. We must take advantage, if you will, of that freedom and be bold. We must. We must look at the examples we have in Scripture to see someone like Paul, who God radically transformed for the sake of the gospel, to see that although he was in prison and went through everything he did, he still encouraged the brothers. He should encourage us. It should light a flame in us to remember, this is what happened to me. My life was radically transformed by Jesus dying on the cross for me and raising to new life on the third day. So because of that, I am so compelled to go and take this gospel everywhere I go. As we interact with teachers and students at the elementary school, as we interact with the people that are around us, as we come alongside of our partners in ministry, as you are in your family, as you are in the marketplace, wherever you are, Be bold to proclaim the gospel. Be bold. Don't let it get to the point to where our country is no longer in that religious freedom area and we're having to face persecution in the sense like the Philippians were facing. We have the freedom to proclaim it. Go out and proclaim it. Don't let the enemy speak lies to you. Remember who you serve. You serve the sovereign God over the universe that created everything. By the sound of his voice. You serve the God who created you and knew you and knit you in your mother's womb. You created, you were created by the God who knows everything about you, that is with you every single step of the way. Be bold to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. 15 through 17. I'm gonna read all that together. 15 tells us, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul goes on to describe how there's two camps of preachers, if you will, that are going out and they're proclaiming the gospel. One of these is preaching envy and rivalry. These folks are out for their own selfish ambition. They're out for themselves. And then the other are preaching from goodwill. These are the brothers who are preaching of that delight in Christ. They're preaching from joy. They're preaching because they want to serve and glorify God. But here's the thing about it. Here's the thing that's very important. 
18 says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul's saying, although this is happening, and there are those that are preaching from envy and rivalry, even though they're not doing it for the right reasons, the gospel message that they're proclaiming is still truth. And so Paul's saying that although they're doing this, and I wish they wouldn't, I wish they'd repent, I wish they'd do it for goodwill, I'm still going to rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed. Still going to rejoice in that. Because of this rejoicing, it makes us stop and say again, Paul, these guys are doing it for the wrong reason. These guys are doing it for this reason over here. They're doing it for their own selves, man. You should be frustrated with them. And I'm sure Paul probably was frustrated that that was happening because he wants it to project Christ in a way of goodwill and wanting to serve him and do it with the right heart and the right intentions. But Paul is still looking at the situation. He's saying, you know what, though? The gospel message is still the same. It's still the same. And so, therefore, I'm going to rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed. We still must rejoice in it. The second thing we see in this passage is the gospel above self. Gospel above self. The last, like, four or five words of verse 18, look at it. Yes, and I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This third part of the verse of 18, Paul makes sure to shift this, if you will. He's now referring it to himself, and he says, he states, and I will rejoice. He's rejoicing in the fact that no matter what his fate is about to be, he still rejoices in what has happened to him. Paul's just a happy guy because he's found that delight in Christ. He's so joyful because of it, and he doesn't care about what is going to happen to him because he still sees that God is being glorified in the midst of what he's gone through. 19 says, after he comes off and saying, I will rejoice, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. As we saw last week, Paul prays for the Philippians themselves, but now he's asking them to pray specifically for him. And he says there that he asked this prayer for deliverance from them, that they, that they would pray this prayer for him. Does he speak of deliverance in the sense of being delivered from, from prison? Well, it could be. But as we know from just a few verses later in verse uh, 125, it says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. Paul knows, he, he feels very surely that God is going to deliver him from prison so that he can continue forward. He believes that, and we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. But, but Paul's asking for this prayer of deliverance. He's praying this. What, what is he alluding to? Many scholars say that he's, he's taking this passage from what many of us who are reading through our chronological plan we've seen in Job, from Job 13, uh, verses 13 through 18. Listen to this. Let me have silence and I will speak. And let come on me that may. Why should I take my flesh and my teeth and put the life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Verse 16 is very important. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before me. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. And you remember, 
all that Job goes through at that point. He has lost so many things already at this point when he says this in this Old Testament passage. But he knows where his eternal destiny lies. He knows that his salvation is found in God Almighty. And so Paul is alluding to this passage from Job because Paul is driving home the fact to say that this is for my salvation. Those of you in here that have a King James Version, for example, your word in there, now I'm reading from the ESV, and you know that's what I preach from, and I believe very truly that it's very, very close to the original language. But Paul is saying here, this passage in my translation says deliverance. For those of you that have a King James, it may say salvation, or it should say salvation. Some of your translations may say the same, but I know the King James says it. And Paul is asking for prayers because he knows that God answers prayers and he works according to his purposes and his will. And he says there, he says in 19, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, it dwells in Paul. It dwells in us who proclaim Christ. Paul is saying here, that please pray for me, pray for salvation, pray that this will lead to my deliverance. One day Paul's life does come to an end. And he's asking them to pray throughout that journey for him. Because you remember what we said last week. We were looking at verse 6 of chapter 1 last week. We began to talk about how he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And you remember what I said when it begins that good work, it's the day that you are saved. It's the day that you know Christ. And he, God, will bring it to completion. Thank God for that. At the day of Jesus Christ, when Christ Jesus returns. So Paul's salvation, his deliverance, he's asking them, pray for me in this until the day comes for me. Pray that the Spirit of Christ will continue to lead me, to guide me, direct me as it will turn out for my salvation, my deliverance. Verse 20 says, And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be proclaimed in my body, whether by life or by death. We see here that Paul has this eager expectation about his life. He doesn't want to be ashamed. He doesn't. He wants Christ to be magnified in his life, in his body, no matter whether he lives or he dies. He's saying, Lord, I don't have control of this vessel. I don't have control of this life. You do. I trust you, and I'm praying that I don't leave it to where it's ashamed. I pray that I live my life in a way that projects you continually so that the day of Christ Jesus, I can stand before you and hear, well done. What a beautiful thing. We see here also another Bible character, a hero of the faith in, in, in ways. I know that he didn't necessarily have the great, greatest example of making the best decisions, but we see as David in Psalm 34, 3-5 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. He is our deliverer. God is the one that has delivered us through the powerful, atoning work of Jesus Christ's death on the cross at Calvary. And because of that, we get to stand and proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord. And we are made right with God again. 
And our sin doesn't separate us anymore because of the blood of Jesus that's been shed for us. And we can rejoice in that. And we can hope to that day of Christ when we stand before the Lord because we are saved. 21 says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul knows that dying is gaining because he will see Jesus face to face. He will be in the presence of the Lord. There is nothing greater than that. There's nothing greater than that. I've had, the, I've had the privilege, I'll say the privilege, although it was a very hard thing that happened in that moment. Had the privilege when my granny died, I sat there in the room the moment she took her last breath. And, and, and I firmly believe that it was just a, a nice little notion that God gave to us. The moment she took her last breath, her face that had been open from breathing the way that she had, it had this little bit of this smile. And I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, we just witnessed Granny see Jesus face to face. Because the Scripture tells us when the moment that somebody's life is over, they are in the presence of the Lord. What joy is that? It's such an incredible joy to know that when our lives, if you are in Christ and you have been saved, the moment... Life is over in this earth. You're in the presence of the Lord. Forever. Forever. We have this joy. We have this hope to what we cling to. We must remember that the gospel is still elevated above ourselves. And Paul is Paul's laying that out here. Paul in verse 22 to 24 says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Nobody's going to argue with that. It's far better. But 24 says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. So Paul describes the differences a little bit deeper He's saying that it's far better for him to be with Christ if he were to die. But he's saying that he sees the fact that it is better for the Philippians for him to be alive so that God can still use him to lead them, to still write to them, to still care for them. Because they need it. They need to be shepherded. They need to be guided. And Paul's saying, I would love to be with Christ right now. But I know for your sake, I'm convinced that God is going to save me from this current circumstance that I'm in. But no matter what, whether I live or whether I die, Christ be exalted. Gospel comes above myself. I pray that that is our cry as a church. I pray that our cry is that no matter what circumstance we face and no matter what desires we have of our own selves, that we would say the gospel is primary. The gospel is primary. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is what saves. Without the gospel, there is no life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Without the gospel, we live, we die, we're separated from God for eternity. We need the gospel 
That is why it is good news. So we must project it above our circumstances. We must project it above ourselves. And the third point, we must, object, we must project it, excuse me, above and beyond. Above and beyond. Some of you in here that love Toy Story, you're thinking of Buzz Lightyear right now, to infinity and beyond. It's a really bad shot at a joke. Please laugh for me. Thank you. God bless you. No, but the gospel above and beyond. Beyond our circumstances, beyond what we see right in front of us. Beyond that. As you've heard me mention week after week now for the last month, every day at 10.02, we pray Luke 10.2. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out labors into his harvest. We pray that prayer for the beyond. We pray that prayer for the beyond, beyond what we see right now. Beyond what we see as, yes, a smaller congregation. Beyond that. We see beyond to what the kingdom will look like as we come alongside others. We present the gospel. We demonstrate the gospel to people that are close to us but far from God. And we know that beyond what we see now, there is something greater. And we trust that God is in the midst of us and he is working like I firmly believe that he is. And we trust him and we seek to glorify him with our lives. And we say beyond this, we must live this way. Paul says there that in 25 that he knows that Paul is going to be saved. He trusts that. He, he knows that God is going to do this. Because in 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm sure of it, that God is going to bring me through this. And I'm going to be with you again. And you're going to rejoice in that because I will be back with you. I will not be locked up anymore. I will not be going through this. I will be with you. I'm going to be there to guide you and to lead you. I'm going to be there to, to help in leading and shepherding you. It's going to cause great joy. It's going to cause you to rejoice. And church, for us, as we move forward, as we look ahead to what God is doing and looking ahead to what he will do and how he's going to move amongst us and amongst our fellow brother and sister congregations, we know and we trust that there is rejoicing coming because we're going to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We're going to see people walk from death into life. And you better believe, like we did back in June when we had those two baptized, that we're going to cheer and we're going to celebrate because of what God has done and what God is doing. We need to celebrate what God is doing right now in our midst. We need to celebrate. We need to honor God. We need to glorify Him. We need to look ahead and say, Lord, this is what is coming next. So when I email you and I ask you to please pray, Luke 10.02 every day. 10.02 every day. Please do so. Please do so knowing and trusting earnestly in your prayers that God is going to send labors into his harvest. Please do so as I ask you to pray for the next congregation to please lift them up in prayer and know that we are doing so because we are seeing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is for the kingdom. 
The bigger picture is not just for ourselves. Do I want our congregation to grow? Absolutely. Yes. Numerically, of course, but more importantly, spiritually. I want to see us make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I want to see that, but I don't want to just see it at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church. I want to see it at Cooper River. I want to see it at Pittman Street. I want to see it at Portside. I want to see it at St. Andrew's Park Circle. I want to see it at Friendship. I want to see it at First Baptist North Charleston. I want to see it at Harvest Point. And I believe that God is going to do it. We have to say, yes, Lord, and be obedient. You hear me say it all the time. But we have to. I try my best every time I pray before you and every time I pray by myself to pray, God, may you increase, may we decrease, may I decrease. If that is our heart's desire, we are seeking him in his word. We are praying to him earnestly. These things that I mentioned to you and the things that you know you need to be praying, you are going to grow deeper in that relationship. We are going to grow more spiritually. We are going to make disciples. And you better believe we are going to storm this community and people are going to come to know Jesus Christ because of what we're doing. And if you're in, praise God. If you're not, and you're questioning why we need to do that, please repent, and then please join us. Because we need every single person possible to accomplish the mission. This isn't just for a few. This is for all. Amen? Ben, you can go ahead and come forward. I pray, church, that if you're a believer and you know Jesus Christ, that you are truly seeking God and asking Him what you need to be doing for His glory. That you are seeking God and you're asking Him, Lord, how can the gospel be presented above and beyond in my life? How can it do so in my circumstances above myself? What are things that I have that I need to repent of to be able to do so? I guarantee you, if you come before the Lord with a true heart before him to say, Lord, I want to know this. Make it clear to me so that I can make it right. He's going to reveal it to you. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, the reason why we gather is because we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that came to this earth to die for sinners, which includes you and which includes Brian. He died on that cross for us, taking on God's wrath. But on the third day, he rose from the grave, defeating death, where he sits at the right hand of God. And you hear me say it all the time, where Jesus sits and he intercedes on our behalf for the saints. So when we cry out to God, Jesus is there interceding on our behalf because of the fact that we have been made justified because of what Jesus has done. I pray if you don't know Jesus, please see me. Please see Walter. Please see any of these band members. Please see any of our deacons. Please see anyone in this room that projects and says, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you need prayer for something, maybe you feel like there's something going on and you just, I, I haven't been able to let the gospel be above this. Come talk to me. I'm not going to judge you. I'll give you examples of how that's happened in my life. I'll be real with you. But let's pray. And if you feel the Lord is telling you to do something, come forward if you want, or if you need to talk to me afterwards, you can. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done at Calvary with Jesus defeating the grave, taking on your wrath in our place. 
Father, we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your mercy. Oh, but Lord, thank you so much for giving it to us. We pray, Lord, and we ask during this time, Lord, as we sing this song in Christ alone. Christ is truly where our hope is found. I pray, God, that there's anything that you are calling us to do, asking us to do, praying, praying, Lord, that we would be bold enough to step out and to trust you, Lord, and to, to speak with someone about that, to see what it is that you have next for us. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, have your way in this place. May we hear from you, Lord, and step out in faith and trust you. Be glorified, Lord. We love you. We bless you in Christ's name. Amen.